You know, as we think about 150 years, we have a rich history, but we also have a bright future. Amen? Until Jesus comes, my prayer is that this church will be making disciples locally, nationally, and globally. So I want you to, I want to say a word to the kids. Again, the kids did a marvelous job today. Man, I love when we have these family worship events and the kids are singing, doing the motion. By, by the way, choir, I couldn't do those motions either. I, I would look like a major league baseball player, uh, third base coach trying to give signals to a, a hitter and a runner. It'd be awful. So thank you for being here today. Now, boys and girls, I want to say to you that I'm going to preach about a biblical character that you've heard about. His name is Jonah. Now, Jonah was an interesting character. He was a Jewish prophet whom God assigned the unenviable task of delivering a message of judgment to the Jews' mortal enemies, the Ninevites. In this book of the Bible, in chapter 1, we see Jonah running from God. In chapter 2, we see Jonah praying to God. In chapter 3, we see him speaking for God. And in chapter 4, we see him learning from God. The greatest miracle in this book is not Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. That's not the greatest miracle in the book. The greatest miracle in the book is the sovereign move of God to bring the Ninevites to a spiritual awakening and to a place in the kingdom. Now, I want to call your attention to what preceded this mighty move of God. It was the prayer and fasting of the people of Nineveh. Now, this should serve as a reminder that there are situations that crop up in our lives that demand an exceptional seeking after God, a time of prayer and fasting. I, I can tell you this, when those special times have come up in the lives of individuals, in the lives of families, in the lives of churches, in the lives of our nation, life of our nation, and even the world, I can tell you, friend, fasting and praying has literally changed the course of history. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a wonderful story about Jehoshaphat and the Jewish people, the leader of Judah. And the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites and their vast army came against the people of God. And the people of God were severely outnumbered. Why, well, if you looked at it, you'd say there's no way they could ever win that war. And they couldn't have without God's help. And I want you to notice what Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, decided to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, the Bible said Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. 
They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Now, as a result of Jehoshaphat leading the people of God to fast and pray, asking God for direct divine intervention, God did intervene. In fact, the Bible tells us that the, the Jewish people won the victory that day, not because they raised a sword, not because they threw a spear. It was because God intervened and God took care of the army for them. That's the power of fasting and prayer. And then there's another example I want to share with you. Nehemiah was deeply disturbed over the desolation of the city of Jerusalem, especially its walls. And he was serving the king of Persia at the time as a cupbearer. And he was so burdened, he went into a time of fasting and prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, When I heard these words, the report of what happened in Jerusalem, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What happened, you might wonder? Well, God intervened and gave Nehemiah favor with the king of Persia. And the king of Persia allowed him to go back to Jerusalem and, and to take care of the problem there. And, and Nehemiah led the people of God to rebuild the wall in record time, 52 days. That's a direct intervention of God. And, and then in the New Testament, the early church experienced phenomenal growth. And the church sent uh, representatives to Antioch in Syria. And the Bible says that the leaders of the church were so burdened for the Gentile world that had not heard the gospel. What did they do? Let me show you what they did in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 3. The Bible says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, we know Saul as Paul. His later name was later changed to Paul. Then verse 3, then when they had, listen, when they had fasted and prayed, and laid their, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. As a result, Barnabas and Saul went on the first missionary journey, and the gospel of Jesus Christ began to turn the whole world upside down. The date was January the 20th, 1905. The place was Denver, Colorado. The headline of the Denver Post read like this. Entire city pauses for prayer at the high tide of business as the soul rises above sordid thoughts. Remarkable outburst of gospel sentiment provoked by revival through evangelist Wilbur Chapman and his associates that caused a whole hush to spread over the population while the noonday meetings draw congregations unprecedented in numbers. Seldom 
the article said, has such a remarkable sight been witnessed in an entire great city in the middle of a busy weekday, bowing before the throne of heaven and asking and receiving the blessing of the king of the universe. That's amazing, isn't it? All of this is a result of the people of God realizing that they were facing an issue that needed God's direct intervention in their lives. And they fasted and they prayed. Now we've come off 40 days of fasting and prayer. Many of you took the book and you worked through it and you fasted in some form or another and you prayed and you read the scripture and, and 40 days of fasting and prayer. What an amazing accomplishment. I, I praise God that many of you participated in that. Now you say, but pastor, we, we've heard about all this that happened in the Old Testament days, the New Testament days, what happened in Denver. But pastor, is it possible for God to intervene in our world today? Let's face it, folks, our world is in serious trouble. I literally believe we're at a tipping point. I believe the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is near. And it would behoove every person within the sound of my voice to make sure you are ready for that time when the trumpet sounds and the Lord comes to bring us home to glory. Now, I want to tell you, don't write God off. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's worked in supernatural ways to intervene in situations with families, with individuals, with, with churches, with nations, I can tell you, he can do it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's the question I wanna, uh, that, that we've got to face today. It, it's simply this, are we desperate? Are we desperate to see God move? Do we realize that we can't fix the problems in the world today? We can't fix it politically. We can't fix it financially. We can't fix it emotionally. We cannot fix the problems of the world. We need God's supernatural intervention in the world today. We need God's super, supernatural intervention in our own hearts personally, in our families, in the church. I'm asking you to, to consider this truth and lodge it in your heart. Prayer and fasting can change everything. Let's say that together. Prayer and fasting can change everything. Now, as we dig into our text today, I want you to see, number one, the restoration. Turn to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Here's what the Word of God says. Now, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Remember the first time, what did Jonah do? He disobeyed God. God said to go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite direction. You know, I got to thinking about this. Nineveh was a wicked, violent place. They hated the Jews. And guess what? The Jews hated them. And when God told Jonah to go, he went the opposite direction. I got to think about, it. I may have done the same thing. Now you say, well, I wouldn't pastor. Well, that's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say. Well, listen, 
Look at what happened here. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Verse 3, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, this is a very simple, easy message to preach. I'm sure he had it memorized. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The word overthrown in the Hebrew there is the same word used in Genesis 19 to refer to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's saying, listen, I want you to understand some folks. I want you to understand that you're going to be crispy critters just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah if you do not repent, if you don't repent. So we need to be reminded of this fact. God is not quick to give up on his children. Boy, aren't you glad that it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? The second time. God doesn't give up on us too quickly. The Bible is absolutely full of stories and examples of men and women of God who failed God at one point and God gave them a second, third chance to get it right, to get right with him and to do exactly what he wanted them to do. I'm thinking about Adam and Eve. I'm thinking about Jacob. I'm thinking about David, Peter, Mark. The list goes on and on. God is in the restoration business, and that's good news for you and me. Amen? So God was concerned for this city, even though it was filled with people who were given over to wickedness, pagan spirituality, blatant immorality, idolatry, and extreme violence. In verse 2, there are three imperative verbs that, that God wanted to lodge in, in uh, Jonah's heart. Arise, go, proclaim. Now, in order for, for Jonah to get back to Nineveh, he had to take an unusual form of transportation. Do you remember what that was? It was in the belly of a great fish. Some might say it was a whale. In the belly of this great fish, God sent his prophet back and the, listen, the, the, the great fish vomited him up on the beach and he went to Nineveh and did what God told him to do in the first place. Now, I, I want you to remember this. We live in a world that is much like Nineveh was in, in Jonah's day. We live in a world where evil is called good and good is called evil. We live in a world where anti-Christian sentiment is celebrated. We live in a world where political correctness trumps everything else. We live in a world where violence and immorality are considered entertainment. We live in a world where religious pluralism is the new norm. We live in a world where moral absolutes are ridiculed and rejected. As I said earlier, I believe we're at a tipping point. Now, I'm going to tell you what the church has got to do. Every pastor behind every pulpit, every church has got to stand on the Word of God. We've got to proclaim the Word of God just like Jonah proclaimed the Word of God in his day. We cannot waffle. We cannot compromise 
on the word of the living God. Prayer and fasting can change everything. Everything. It, it can change history. So we've seen the restoration. And again, the issue is, are we concerned? Are we desperate to see God do what only God could do in our day? Now, secondly, I want you to see not only the restoration, but the desperation. The people of Nineveh were given 40 days to recognize the seriousness of the situation and to repent. Only 40 days. The Bible says in verses 5 to 9, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. So, so here's Jonah. He's going throughout the city. It's a very large city. He preaches this message of judgment. And the Bible says in verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Now, don't run through that too quickly. You do understand that the people of Nineveh did not worship Yahweh. They did not worship the true God. They were idolaters. So they began to believe in God and they called a fast. Who called a fast? The people of Nineveh. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing. Not only did the people fast, but the animals were required to fast also. Have you thought about that? The Bible goes on to say, but both man and beast, verse 8, must be covered with sackcloth. Can you imagine a goat going around in sackcloth? But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. That's the, that's the message of the king of Nineveh to his people. Would you say that they were desperate? Do this. Yeah, they, they were desperate. They were so desperate, they put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes. They, they proclaimed a fast throughout the entire area. Jonah used the word Elohim to refer to the supreme, all-powerful God. I, I want you to see how God changed the cold, dead hearts of pagans and injected a sense of desperation that led to them believing in God and repenting of their sin. In response to God's word and the work of God's spirit, the Ninevites took several key steps. They fasted, they prayed, and they repented. They fasted, they prayed, and they repented. You know what they were doing? They were asking God to have mercy on them. We sang about mercy a few moments ago. Did they deserve mercy? No. Do we deserve mercy? No. None of us deserve mercy, God's mercy. But God grants it, and God granted it in their case. 
And we're going to see in just a moment how God supernaturally intervened and changed everything there in Nineveh for about a hundred years, about a hundred years. Prayer and fasting can change everything. So we've seen the restoration, the desperation. Thirdly, I want you to see the transformation, the transformation. Listen, God was their only hope and they knew it. Here's the impact of their fasting and prayer and repentance. Look at verse 10. When God saw their what? Their deeds. It wasn't their words. Can I tell you, talk is cheap. A lot of people talk a good game. They talk a good game in a lot of different areas of life. But their walk doesn't match their talk. And I can tell you, dear friend, if your walk does not match your talk, God is not impressed at all. In, In fact, God is very concerned about the fact that there's not continuity between what you say and how you live. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Wow. God was ready. God had pronounced judgment on these people. And they deserved it, to be very honest with you. But God relented and did not bring judgment upon them when he saw their deeds, when he saw them uh, fasting, when he saw them praying, when he saw them repenting. He decided that he would not judge them. Some people are troubled with this term that God relented that God relented. That is, he changed his mind regarding the destruction of Nineveh. Why would God give them 40 days? And why would God send send Jonah to announce his intentions to them to judge them and then change his mind? In this situation, we, we receive great insight into the heart of God and into the power of prayer and fasting. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, hear the word of the Lord. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy. You do realize that God has that power, don't you? God can can destroy a nation, pull up a nation by its roots, God can plant a nation, whatever God chooses to do, because God is sovereign over the whole world. At one moment, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation, look at verse 8, if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. By the way, God does the same thing in our individual lives. Listen, you can spend your life rebelling against God, choosing to ignore his word, his will, his way, doing things your way. And you're headed for judgment, God's judgment. 
But I can tell you, dear friend, if you repent, if you're willing to turn around and live the way God wants you to live and do the thing God wants you to do and believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I promise you, God will change your destiny. Is that not wonderful? He'll change your destiny. So God ended up being glorified in this pagan city of Nineveh because Jonah obeyed God. And because the people were so desperate for God, they fasted and they prayed and they repented. Now look, the truth for us today is so important. And it is important. Prayer and fasting can change everything. I received an email from Adam Jones, a young deacon in our church. He and Kathleen are, are, are newly married. And, and in this email, he talked about the importance of going through 40 days of fasting and prayer for, for him and his wife. He said, and I quote, earlier this year, my wife and I found out that we were expecting we were beyond excited, but at the same time, we were uncertain about how we would manage to make ends meet. In other words, he was worried about having more month than money. I just finished my degree from the University of Memphis and started applying for jobs that would allow me to support my family. After months of trying, I was unable to secure anything in my field. I started feeling impatient, frustrated, and even entitled toward, toward what I thought I deserved for my skill set. During this time, our church started the 40 days of prayer and fasting devotional. At day 15 of the devotional book, we were asked to pick a day to fast during the week, and I picked the very next day. While I was fasting and reading through day 16, I was reminded through scripture that we are called to be thankful in all things. The scripture convicted me about the way I had been inwardly behaving and I repented in that moment. I thought about everything that God had already provided for and done for me up until this point in my life. I know that God's timing is perfect. And that when he wants me to enter a new chapter of life, I will do exactly that. Later on, listen to this. Later on that same day, day 16, I received an email from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary informing me that I was being offered a full-time IT specialist position. Not only would I now be able to support my family, I would later find out that this position would also pay for me to get my master's degree at the seminary where I can study one of my favorite biblical topics, apologetics. The power of fasting and praying. So what does all this mean for us? You know, as I, I thought, through, thought through this wonderful story here in Jonah, and I thought through this, this truth that we've been hammering home, that prayer and fasting can change everything. Three thoughts came to my mind. The first one is this. God 
will restore fallen believers. You may be here today and there was a time in your life when you were really walking with God. There was a time in your life when you had a consistent quiet time. You read the Bible. You prayed. You loved to come to worship. You tithe. You, you, you were walking with God. But you came to a fork in the road. And in choose, instead of choosing God's way, you chose your way. And things haven't been, have not been going so good for you lately. And you wonder, will God ever forgive me? Can I ever get back what I once had with God? Look at me. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Yes. Absolutely yes. If you are willing to repent, just like Jonah did, if you're willing to repent and say, God, even if I have to get where I need to get in, in the belly of a great fish, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll obey you. If you're willing to do that, I promise you, God will restore you, and the word of the Lord will come to you a second time. Amen? But there's another truth in this story that I want to point out to you. Not only does God restore fallen believers, but God saves people who have been really bad. He saves people who have been really bad. Can, can I just give you a parallel to, the, to this story? It's like God sending a prophet into Hamas territory and preaching God's judgment. That's exactly the same parallel. And I'll tell you, friend, if a, if a member of Hamas were to repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, God would save them. God would deliver them. He would forgive their sins and separate them from, from them as far as the east is from the west. You may be here today say, Pastor, you don't know the stuff I've done in the past. I've been a rotten person. And I tell you on the authority of the word of God based on the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you're willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ who went to the cross of Calvary and died for your sin and paid the penalty for your sin with his own blood and was raised from the dead, if you put your faith in Christ, God will forgive you. God will save you. He'll give you a new destiny. He'll put a spiritual spring in your step, and your life will never be the same again. I want to invite you to do that today. In fact, I'm going to invite our worship team to come, our staff to come, and we're going to have a time where we worship the Lord. We're going to stand and worship the Lord. And if you want to be saved today, you, you may not be, you may look at your life and say, well, I haven't been so bad. I can tell you this, you still need to be saved. You're not going to heaven on your goodness, I promise you. So whether you're good or whether you're bad, come to Christ today. Receive him as your personal Lord and Savior by faith. If you're here today and you're a fallen believer and you want one of these folks to pray over you and encourage you, you come to them, let them pray over you. Come to the altar, bow before the Lord your God and say, Lord, give me another chance. Lord, give me another chance like you gave Jonah. I promise you he'll do it. He'll do it. But there's a third thing in this text today that I've noticed that God has ordained fasting and prayer as a means of transformation. 
I promise you, there are going to come times in your life, personally, where you're going to face such a challenge that ordinary prayer is not going to cut it. You're going to need to devote yourself to a time of fasting and prayer. There's going to come a time in the life of your family where you need to pray and fast and you need to ask God to do what only God can do. There's going to come a time in this church where we need to pray and fast and seek God because times are desperate. There's going to come a time in our nation, in the world, where things are so bad, things are so desperate. If we don't pray and fast and seek the face of God, we're doomed. Will you commit yourself to regularly listening to the Holy Spirit? And when he points out to you it's time to pray and fast, would you do it? Would you say, I'll do it, Pastor. I'll I'll do it, Lord. I'll seek you with everything I've got. I hope and pray that you will honor the Lord today by obedience, just the way Jonah did. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this wonderful story. Thank you, Lord, that you've ordained fasting and prayer as a a way that we can invite you into our our desperate situation. And I pray, Father, that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that every fallen believer will come to this altar and, and say, Lord, give me another chance. And Lord, give them another chance. Restore them. And Lord, I pray for those who are not saved in this room. And I pray they come to faith in Christ. And I pray for those who are in a desperate situation, Lord, lead them to a time of fasting and prayer and show them the power of the breakthrough that only you can provide. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.